Um, and then God also gives them another instruction. Um, it says also, um, uh, then God also gives them another instruction, which is that you shall wear them as a sign between your eyes and as a sign on, as a sign on your hand and as a, um, and as a um, remembrance between your eyes. And the term that God calls these things, the Torah calls these things, are totafos. Now, totafos um, are actually mentioned twice in this week's Torah portion. God, in the same kind of set of instructions, God twice tells us that we should wear these totafos and tells Moses. And then later, in the book of Deuteronomy, when Moses repeats most of the commandments, Moses twice over there repeats the command to wear these totafos. For some reason which we don't know, um, although the biblical term for these things are totafos, um, what do totafos mean? Um, it's not clear what the original, where the word totafos came from. Um, some say totafos means four. This doesn't see four parts to it. Um, but it's not clear what the, actual word, what the actual word meant originally. But for some reason, um, during our second temple period, we started calling them tefillin. Tefillin is not a biblical word, but we started calling them tefillin. Um, we don't know why, uh, what the word tefillin originally meant. Um, tefillin means to form in Aramaic, or in Hebrew means to form something. Le, le tofel, to kind of form something, to fashion something. But we don't know why, how the word ever became called tefillin. But somehow the word was, the common use, used word was not the biblical word totafos, but it, the common used word for the last two and a half thousand years has always been tefillin. So what exactly are these tefillin? So the word comes from phylacteries. Phylacteries was the Greek translation from the Septuagint for totafos. I think phylacteries comes from the word philo, which means love, loving God. Um, Sorry? Philo. Like Philadelphia? Yeah. Philo means it's oh. Greek to love. It's Greek uh, for philo, love. Philo is son. Son. No, it's, it's love in Latin, Greek. Yeah. I think it's Greek. Yes, yeah, if Greek. I'm not mistaken. It's, it's probably the Y, so it may be a different word. Phylacteries? Mm -hmm. No, I think it comes, I'm pretty sure it comes from Philo. It's not clear. Our sages say that um, totafos means four in, um, in, um, in, in African. Like, I'm not sure what African means, but that's what, it, um, that's what our sages say. Sorry? Arabic? That's not Arabic. Arabic wasn't around then. Sorry? In Egyptian and Arabic, I, I don't know. It's not clear what the word totafos means, but that's what it was originally called. To guard, not from Philo? My yeah. mistake then. Take that back. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Okay. He says it comes from to guard, according to Google. So we'll have to take Google for it. <laughs> to guard. Phylacteries, which is the Greek word that's used in the Septuagint for tefillin. Um, so 
So these tefillin, these tefillin, first I'm going to get to a little bit about who wears them and why, and then I'll get to exactly what they are. So who exactly wore these tefillin? So these tefillin were worn by Jewish men. And why they were not worn by Jewish women, I'm going to get to in just a few moments. But they were worn by Jewish men um, from the days of Moses, it appears, um, well, as the Torah commands us. And they were worn during the day only. Um, they were not worn only on weekdays, not on Saturdays, not on Shabbat. And they were worn during these weekdays essentially all day. They would put it on when they woke up in the morning, and they would take it up just to go to the bathroom. And otherwise, they would wear it essentially all day from morning to night. And, um, and it's, it, it appears um, from many, many accounts that it was a standard thing. Everyone wore tefillin all day. That's what they did. They walked, they worked their field. They walked around, whatever they did, ate breakfast, lunch, dinner. They were wearing their tefillin on them. The arm tefillin, <coughs> there's two, there's two tefillin, there's two of them. As we'll see, I'm going to sh soon show you what they are. There's two of them. One goes on front of your head. One goes on your left arm. And, um, the, and the one on the arm is obviously covered by a cloak. Back then they wore cloaks or by, you know, whatever, by your clothing. The one on the head stood out. This is, remember, before they were even wearing kippahs. So a Jewish man was noticeable not by his kippah, but by his tefillin that he wore. And it appears very clear that everybody had it. Um, they had to, when they wore helmets or whatever it was, armor in war, they had to make sure that they had space for their tefillin because um, they would have this tefillin on their head. And uh, it was a visible Jewish sign that someone that, of a Jewish man that, uh, that during the day at least, Jewish men would wear these tefillin. And these tefillin were worn essentially repeatedly, <coughs> sorry, continuously uh, by our ancestors until until the fall of um, the, the end of the Bar Kokhba Rebellion. Bar Kokhba Rebellion was a um, Jewish rebellion against the Romans in about the 130s. It was a very, very, um, it was a strong rebellion. In fact, we have descriptions of Bar Kokhba's own soldiers um, wearing tefillin um, as they fought. And uh, we have, um, and we also, they found, well, in Masada, which comes from the, which was an earlier rebellion against the Romans. Masada was built as a fortress for an earlier rebellion. Um, they found tefillin there. And we found dozens of these ancient tefillins, um, or remnants of tefillin, um, in, throughout in archaeological digs in Israel. Um, clear that it was very, very, everybody wore them. Um, we, uh, so they wore these tefillin continuously until the period of um, the Bar Kokhba rebellion. After the Bar Kokhba Rebellion, the Romans instituted what was called Shman. Shman was, literally means destruction. Or the Romans had a um, policy. The Jews had rebelled multiple times within a couple years in the Roman Empire. And they were an important minority in the Roman Empire. <laughs> and so they decided they were going to stamp out Judaism, put an end to Judaism, put an end to Jews as an independent people. And... Um, They'll never have trouble for the, from them again. And uh, so part of that included many, many different rules. They prohibited public Jewish study. They prohibited circumcision. They prohibited um, many, many Jewish rules. Uh, but they included most, one of the most noticeable ones. They prohibited the wearing of tefillin. 
anyone caught on the street wearing tefillin, immediately killed. No questions asked. Um, anywhere in the Roman Empire. So it essentially became illegal to wear tefillin. Remember, until then, Jews had always worn tefillin regularly. Now, you wore tefillin, you get killed. And the Talmud tells us stories of people who nonetheless wore tefillin, and as soon as they saw Roman soldiers would pull, up, would pull them off. But as you could imagine, most people stopped wearing tefillin in public after that and started only wearing it during their prayers, um, and particularly during the morning prayers. And so um, from then on, for whatever reason, it never went back to people wearing it all day. But Jews continued wearing it, Jewish men, sorry, continued wearing it during, during morning prayers. And uh, we've essentially done that continuously since. We, we've worn the tefillin. The tefillin have to be worn at least once a day on weekdays, not on Shabbat and biblical holidays. And so um, we've worn it continuously. Um, Jewish men have worn it um, continuously um, every day during prayers, but that was it. Now, <coughs> so what was the whole offer? Ideally, it should be worn all day. Ideally, it should be worn all day. They stopped Why wearing it all day. Why do we not wear it all day? So I'm going to get to that, but first ask another question, which is why do only Jewish men wear it, and why did Jewish women not wear it? Just a quick question. Um, in the morning, you put it on. How early and how late in the morning? All right, we'll get to that. Excellent question. We'll get to that. So why did Jewish women not wear it? Why did only Jewish men wear it? So the tefillin is among about 14 commandments out of 613 that women were not commanded to do. So we have 613 commandments. There's a handful that don't apply to women. There's a handful, uh, th there's a handful some that don't apply to men um, and a handful that don't apply to women. And women were not commanded to fulfill about 14 of them that they are not commanded to fulfill. Some of the other ones includes, include hearing shofar on Rosh Hashanah shaking the lulav on Sukkot, eating in a sukkah on Sukkot, those are some of the other commandments, um, as well as mitzvahs that are more obvious that they would not apply to women, such as circumcision, obviously it doesn't apply to women, um, uh, not shaving, again, this doesn't apply to women, it's only for men. So, um, so, there, so now of the different mitzvahs that were originally given according to our tradition, were not given to women. Most of those mitzvahs, women have this begun, have historically done regardless, fulfilled regardless. Although God did not command them to do it, they have done it anyway, <coughs> historically, such as hearing the shofar on Rosh Hashanah. We know Jewish women here go to Shul to hear the shofar on Rosh Hashanah, and that's what they've done throughout history. They've always gone through, as far back as we know, They've always gone to Shul to hear the shofar Rosh Hashanah. They also <coughs> sit and eat in the sukkah on Sukkot. They also shake the lulav on Sukkot. So most commandments, almost all commandments that women were not commanded to do, historically women have done regardless in Jewish tradition. Exceptions, of course, are commandments that are not relevant, such as circumcision, obviously. But the only two of commandments that are relevant to women or can theoretically equally apply to women but we're not commanded to women the only two that historically women have not kept are the mitzvah of tzitzit wearing four cornered um, wearing fringes on the four cornered garments which we did a class about which or the talit 
which we did a class on um, a couple months ago, and the tefillin. Those are the only two that historically women have not done. Why have they not done it? <coughs> so it's unclear why women haven't fulfilled these two mitzvot. It's, there's no clear reason. Um, particularly for the talit, it's less clear. Um, there is a prohibition of pro cross-dressing. Men can't wear women's clothing, women can't wear men's clothing. Apparently, historically, men wore four-cornered garments, women did not, which is why men would wear the talit and women did not before the talit later. The talit came as a prayer garment much later. But it was a man's clothing, women didn't wear these four-cornered clothing, and that's why they never began this mitzvah of tzitzit. That's presumably the reason. And we discussed that there's really no reason why women should not wear a talit, but it just, for some reason, it never developed. Tefillin is a little bit more complicated. Um, the, um, the Talmud already discusses the possibility of women wearing tefillin. And the Talmud mentions that King Saul had a daughter whose name was Michal Bat Shaul. And Michal was actually married to King David. King David had a number of wives, but six in total, but Michal was his first wife. And um, the Talmud says that Michal wore tefillin. And the Talmud uses that as evidence that women, if they wish to do so, can wear tefillin. Um, there, are, there are other sources. The Jerusalem Talmud says that, um, rejects that evidence. But the, the Babylonian Talmud says that you can, women can wear tefillin because um, Michal, daughter of Sha'ol, wore it. And we have a tradition of kind of different women that uh, his, over history have worn the tefillin. Presumably that means wearing tefillin all day, walking around, you know, back then in the days of King David, they walked around, with, the men walked around with tefillin all day. A woman who was wearing tefillin would have walked around with it all day. Um, now, yes? But, but much later on, Rashi sort of so that's a, that's a That's a legend. We don't know of any evidence for that legend. In other words, no contemporaries of the time mentioned such a thing. That's a legend that came much, much later. But it's, it's possible. It's possible. So there were there may have been women over history that did put on that did wear tefillin. Now, so why generally do women not wear tefillin? So one of our um, important, one of our major um, halachic or um, Jewish legal works is called the Magen Avraham. It was written by a fellow called Rabbi Avraham Gumbiner. He lived in Poland, I think in um, Krakow, if I'm not mistaken in the 1600s. And he explains as follows. He says the reason why women don't wear tefillin is similar to the reason why men don't wear tefillin all day anymore. And that is because for it, when wearing tefillin, because they are very, very holy and very, very special, one must always be focused on the tefillin while they are wearing it. You cannot have what um, in Hebrew we call hesachadat, or you cannot lose um, lose sense of the fact that you're wearing the tefillin. You cannot forget for a moment you're wearing it. You have to always be aware that you have your tefillin on. You've got to be careful. You've got to always have, have constant awareness that you have this tefillin. So, well, can you ask So, you should always be aware. We stand up when the Torah comes in. Yeah, br bring the other one later. Yeah, later. Sure. So the, you should always be aware when, sorry about that. You, sh you should always be aware when the, um, when the tefillin are on you. 
So because of that, um, although men used to wear tefillin all day, they stopped wearing it all day because it's very hard to keep track of the tefillin all the time. Jewish men are required, they're commanded by God to wear it all day, so therefore they wear it once a day. Women were not commanded to do so because of the, um, because you have to always be focused on it and um, one cannot lose track, so therefore historically women did not begin to wear tefillin. That's what Rabbi Abraham Gubiner explains. That's the reason, and that's generally the accepted reason as to why historically women did not wear tefillin. Would women be allowed to wear tefillin? Presumably, yes, there were women, as we said, historically, that did wear tefillin. Um, there would be no prohibition from women wearing tefillin. However, this would, again, um, we would have a similar response to the question, should women wear tefillin? As, and I, let me just, before I get to that point, let me just add, that's why, um, although we allow non-Jews to fulfill almost every single mitzvah, um, we don't allow non-Jews to wear tefillin, because tefillin are considered very holy. So a non-Jew who wants to wear a talit, that's fine. They want to come to pray, that's fine. In fact, Maimonides says it's a good thing. Non-Jews can get credit for any mitzvah that they do. You want to hear the sh you're not Jewish, you want to hear the shofar Rosh Hashanah, that's great. You want to um, eat matzah on Passover, great. Any mitzvah you want to do of the ritual commandments, obviously the commandments between ha treating other people, uh, we expect everyone Jewish and non-Jewish should be doing it, but the rituals were given to our people, but someone who's not Jewish that wants to do those rituals, that's fine as well. And the only really exception to that is the tefillin, because they're considered so holy, we don't allow non-Jews to wear them either. And the same is also children. Normally, we train children to do mitzvahs from a very young age. So we get our children to wear tzitzit at a young age, to... Um, we get our girls to light the Shabbat candles at a young age, teach them Shabbat and kosher and prayer and um, the different holidays. We get our children to do all the commandments. The only command that we don't have children doing is again wearing the tefillin, where they only start once they reach adulthood, which in Jewish traditions is bar mitzvah. So the tefillin, in essentially only those that are re actually required to wear tefillin wear it. Those that don't have a requirement such as those who aren't Jewish, those who are minors, or women, don't historically wear it. So now, can a woman wear tefillin? So, in theory, she can. There's no prohibition um, of her wearing tefillin. Um, it's not strictly prohibited at all. Yes, Yisachar? Uh, the <coughs> Sorry? Can a woman wear tefillin when she's a nida? That's a good question. Um, it's debated. It's debated, but that's not, I don't want to get into the long discussion, uh, discussion of that. Um, but, so women in theory can wear tefillin, but we get back to the same answer that we gave when we spoke about women, women wearing a talit. Can women wear a talit? So as we said, the reason why historically we think women didn't wear talits was because they just didn't wear four-cornered garments. And then when we started wearing talits for prayer, it was considered a man's garment. It would have been cross-dressing. But you could, in theory, make a woman's talit. And it would not be cross-dressing. And women could wear um, tzitzit, uh, talit with tzitzit on the talit. So could they do it today? There's nothing halakhically wrong with it. So Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, who was the, um, who was a, um, the leading rabbi of the 20th century in New York um, for 
um, Jewish law. Um, he basically answers the question for both Talit and Tefillin like this. He says, nothing wrong with them wearing it so long as they're wearing it out of piety because they want to do another mitzvah. And they're very careful about all the mitzvahs they're doing already. They want to do another mitzvah. If they're wearing it in order to protest God's rules or they're wearing it in order to protest Jewish traditions, or in order to make a political statement, right, then it's not for God, but it's actually against God. So you women can wear a talit and fill in out of piety, out of love for God. They cannot do it for political reasons. That would be that would be wrong. That would be in a sense protesting God, protesting Jewish traditions, and that itself would so be wrong. I don't know. I, I don't want to I don't want to prejudge anybody why they're doing things. Um, so I, I'm not here to say why people are doing specific things. Um, I, I would think that unless you, you're in a community where everybody does it, if you kind of stick out um, by doing things different, um, then you're making a statement. And so in general, in Judaism, we encourage you not to stick out and do things. If everyone, everyone does things one way, you don't just kind of stick out. Um, unless they're doing something that's against Jewish law. But I mean, if it's within Jewish law, not, if you want to be extra strict or extra careful, you shouldn't do it in a way that kind of sticks out. That's always not a good thing. So, um, so what are these tefillin? Now that we've kind of covered who wears them, um, what exactly are the tefillin? So the tefillin are a um, fascinating thing. And what's amazing is we've found, like I said, dozens of tefillin in archaeological digs. And they're all made the same way. They all, they're all the exact same, which is really amazing. So the tefillin is made up of three different parts. Are you going to get back to the question of wearing it all day? Because you said that was the halakha. So I address that. The reason why we don't wear it all day anymore is the same reason why women and children and non-Jews don't wear tefillin, because you have to always be focused on the tefillin. So we only wear it the minimum. Only those that are required, and we only wear it, part, we only wear it for prayer, which is the bare minimum. They were at one point, but we stopped that because of the need to be focused. Um, perhaps then they felt they were able to be focused better, uh, but th that's why we stopped it. I don't know. It's unclear. <laughs> Women were not commanded to wear it. Over the years, and we're talking about 3,000 years, women began to do most of the commandments that they were not commanded to do anyway. Um, when that began, we don't know. So were women 2,000 years ago going to Shul to hear the shofar? Um, we don't know. We don't know, perhaps. Um, were they shaking the lulav 2,000 years ago? We don't know, or if it's something that came later. But maybe that women at that time in society weren't doing the commandments they weren't required to do regardless. We don't know. There was the woman's, well, they separated men and women in synagogues during yeah, temple periods. The oh, women could have gone to synagogue. Did women go to synagogues in temple times? We don't know. The balcony in the temple itself was created for temple service. It's not just for a regular synagogue service. It was mainly created for the Simchat Beit HaShoeva, for the Sukkot celebrations, um, to separate men and women because of the problems that they were having. Um, but... Were women going to synagogue back then? Uh, we don't know. Uh, I don't know. Why do you keep on saying that? Because I don't want to 
In the temple, they had a place for women. Did regular, we found a lot of regular synagogues from that period as well throughout Israel. I don't know if we've found enough, we've found kind of the floors and the, maybe the, like the bottom of the walls. I don't know if we've found, and we found dozens of them, we've, not dozens, we've found a number of them um, in, throughout Israel. We even found a bima, they found one outside in Beit Shan a few years ago. Uh, but a stone, it's stone of course, not a wooden one, right? A stone bima, that's um, kind of a single solid piece of stone with design in it. So, uh, but I don't know if we've found any balconies in synagogues. When women began going to synagogue, I don't know if we know that. Um, definitely by the, by the Middle Ages, women were going to synagogue on holidays. Um, and women, by the Middle Ages, for sure, women were hearing shofar and uh, shaking the lullaby. When it began, we don't know. It's a good, it's, I mean, it's a historical question. So we don't know why. Originally, the commandment was for men. Why women didn't start doing it when they started doing the other commandments? <coughs> Presumably because at that point we were discouraging people from doing it when not necessary, when not commanded. So what are the tefillin? And then I'll talk about the importance of those who are commanded to wear them. So the tefillin are made up of three different parts. There's parchment with four paragraphs of the Torah written. There's the box of the tefillin, and there's the straps of the tefillin. And then there are two different tefillin. There's one that goes on the hand, one that goes on the head. So let's start with the parchment. The parchment is very similar to the parchment of the mezuzah. Um, <coughs> it looks something like this, if I could get it out. Um, it's a parchment of the mezuzah. It's very, very thin because it has to go into the boxes, and... It essentially, it feels it's made out of parchment, made out of a hide, um, usually, uh, usually either from a sheep or a cow. It has to be a kosher animal, um, kind of thinned out, thin hide, and um, you write on it as you would a Torah scroll with special, um, special shaped letters, and it's written by a scribe. Similarly, some time back we learned about the mezuzah, and some time back we learned about the Torah scroll. So the tefillin are made, are written in a similar way by a sofer, by a scribe, um, in, the same, in the same way. Now there are four paragraphs on the t in the tefillin. Two paragraphs from this week's Torah portion, which is the two paragraphs from when, um, where they are mentioned. And then the other two paragraphs are the two paragraphs in Deuteronomy where the tefillin are mentioned. One is the paragraph of the Shema, which we're most, many of you may be familiar with. At the end of the Shema, we say, they, you tie them as a sign on your hands. They shall be as totafot between your eyes. And then the second paragraph of the Shema, which is less known, starts with the words, it shall be if you listen. And over there in that paragraph, the tefillin are also mentioned. We say, um, you shall tie it as a sign on your hands. Uh, and they shall be as totafot between your eyes. So the same thing is mentioned again. Um, and so all four paragraphs where they're mentioned, those four paragraphs are written down on parchment. There are, um, I can pass them around if you want to see the parchment. Um, this, is, this one has Vahaya in Shamoa in it. Um, I can pass around some more. Here, a couple more. So, um, yes? When you use the term kosher animal, do you mean no, no. It has to be either a cow, goat. Um, they used to use or sheep. They used to use deer. Um, any animal that you would be allowed to eat. It does not have to be killed kosher. 
Which is the people? There's four of them. So now, thought I had one. So now, in the um, in the head to fill in, the four paragraphs are each put on a different parchment, and put each one put separately, as we'll see, into four different compartments within the head to fill in. In the hand to fill in, they're all put on a single parchment, and all put into a single compartment into the hand to fill in. Why the difference? This is our tradition, and the traditions of the tefillin are very distinct. And uh, we have a lot, kind of a lot, a lot of rules. And all, what's amazing is those rules have been the same continually throughout our history. So these are rules that go back to Moses. So that's the parchment of the tefillin. The parchment of the tefillin is actually then tied up with um, string from an animal. Also, they take the veins or tendons from the animal and use that as string. And uh, to tie the parchment kind of into a, they roll it up and then they tie it with, um, with that. Um, and so that's how, that's how the parchment is made. The straps are pretty straightforward. Um, I don't have any plain straps here. I don't, I'm going to pass around some stolen soon. The straps are leather straps, like what you would buy a leather jacket or whatever else it is. It's leather straps. Um, one side is made very smooth, one side is left rough, but they're just plain, regular leather straps. So um, also from, again, cow sheep hide. Um, usually cow hide is better quality. It's stronger. It's much more durable than sheep hide. Um, and you could tell, actually, at least the boxes, you could tell what it was made, if it was made out of cow hide or sheep hide, um, because you, you'll, you'll see the difference in their, um, in, their, in, in their size. Now, the most difficult thing to make is the boxes, particularly the head box. And the head box is made out of, it, it's kind of a square that looks like this. Now the head box is made out of a single piece of um, made out of a single piece of leather. The way they do it is they heat up the leather and they stretch it out over a mold. And so they stretch it out over a mold that has four um, holes in it, and they stretch it out and um, put a mold on top of it that will shape it. And so that that way they're able to create a box out of leather. And they heat it, when you heat it up, cook it, and then let it cool down, it hardens like this. And so they're able to actually create a hard box like this. Um, this is in its earlier stages, and then they keep um, heating it up and cooling it again and again until eventually you make a box that looks like this. Um, as you see, you can actually see there's four, um, you can see it on the outside, there's four boxes, and then on the inside, you see there's actually four different compartments in there. This is the head to fill in. Um, it's made um, so the bottom is a little bit thick, um, so there'll be room for the strap, as you'll see. Um, the fillin itself is square; it's a perfect square. Um, it has to the bottom part has to be a little bit larger than the box itself, and then it opens and it closes, and that way you're able to close it. The back of the fillin has to be a little bit wider, and the reason for that is there's a hole going through over here. There's a hole over here where you're going to stick the straps in. So your tefillin is going to end up looking like this. And then they also would scratch a shin on either side of the tefillin um, where the shin is sticking out. So I'm going to soon pass around some. So the, um, so the, sh the shin is sticking out so you actually could see the 
um, shin. As you'll notice, one side, this is also our tradition, one side of the shin has three sticks, which is the way a regular shin looks, and the other side actually has four, four sticks. Sorry? So this is old tradition going back to Moses. This is just the rules. And um, we're not given reason for any of these rules. In Kabbalah, we explain that each thing has specific Kabbalistic meaning. Um, the four portions of the tefillin refer to four different levels in the sefirot. The three sides of the shin and the four sides of the shin refer to the, um, the uh, kindness and judgment, kindness which splits into three, judgment which sp splits into four. And so there's Kabbalistic interpretation for all of this, but simply this is the rules that God gave us. So I'm going to actually pass, I'll pass around this box so we can all kind of get a look at it because I have some more here. Sorry? That's what God tells us. I'm going to soon talk about where to put it and why. Well, I'm going to let me first talk about finish how it's made. So now what we do is, I'll pass this one around too. Um, what we do is, um, after we close the box, we then actually tie the box. And the box itself is tied, and the hand box is made in a similar way, except that the whole thing's only one compartment. And we then tie the box um, with uh, also string from an animal. It's the, um, again, it's made from uh, usually tendons of an animal, which are very hard. And so we kind of tie the box, and that way um, you dr they drill holes, and that way you have, um, this is a hand one. So that way you have the, uh, that way we have now the box of the tefillin. The um, parchments are put inside the tefillin, and um, the tefillin must be painted according to our tradition. The tefillin must be painted black, must be perfectly square, and must have, as we said, the part sticking out. The back has to be a little bigger. All these are rules, and it must be tied with tendons, as we said, of, of the animal. So all these are rules. Um, and no shin. No shin on the head, so only on the head. So, so that's how the tefillin were. That's how the tefillin are made. The straps are st strapped into the tefillin. Um, there's a special way to tie the knots on the straps. The knot are ma the knots are made to sh be shaped like a yud. I don't know if you could see this here, but you have the little letter yud here. The letter yud. So the knots are made to be strapped. The head tefillin is also wherever it is made to be like a yud. Now. These tefillin that I'm passing around are obviously not kosher tefillin. Um, and like mezuzahs, the problem with tefillin that look like this, when I see these tefillin, if you ever see a pair of tefillin like this, they're 90% not kosher. Because a kosher pair of tefillin like this is going to cost you at least $1,000, if not more. Um, the regular price, I mean, the price of a kind of low-end pair of tefillin is about $300. It's got to be handwritten. You got to make have the boxes made. You got to have the straps. It's expensive. So, um, but to write very small is a very unique skill. To write properly that it's going to be small enough to fit in here is very difficult. So, just like small, if you you could buy kosher tiny mezuzahs, they are very very pricey. So most of the time, when I see a very small mezuzah, unless you paid hundred dollars for that mezuzah, chances are it's a fake. No, the mezuzah will be a hundred. The still oh, will be a thousand. Um, chances are it's a fake. So 
So you can buy real fill in this size, but most of the time you see fill in this size, it's a fake, because usually if you open it inside, it's paper or it's printed on parchment and it was, uh, and you could tell straight away if it was printed because um, you actually feel there's a parchment going around still, and it's right here. You can actually feel the, when you write it with the kosher ink, you can actually feel the letters. And when it's printed, the letters seep into the parchment and they don't, you don't feel them anymore. So, um, so you could tell that straight away, but obviously printing is a lot cheaper than, um, and you could print very, very, very small. It's very hard to write very, very small. So um, fill in this size is usually not kosher. Um, this is a much more reasonable size for to fill in. Um, both of these to fill in, you can see they're um, fairly thin. So we still knew that they're um, made out of uh, they're made out of um, sheep hide, which is very thin. Um, these tefillin, which are my own, I'll show you them. These tefillin, which are my own, they're quite a bit bigger, and as you see, they're much thicker. They're made out of, out of cow hide, and they're obviously much better quality. Now, if it it depends what if the straps break, you just buy new straps. If the if there's a mistake in the actual wording of the uh, on the inside parchment, you're gonna change the parchment. If the box has a hole in it, you're gonna change out the box. Um, fillin don't usually last that long. People tell me they want to put on their grandparents' fillin. They don't usually last that long. They're most of the time not kosher. Um, it's a great thing to have your grandparents fill in, but they're probably not going to be kosher. Um, they don't usually last 100 years or whatever it is. They could, um, but most of the time they don't. Um, the other thing is, decades ago, today it's easy to buy kosher to fill in. Decades ago, it was harder to get kosher to fill in, especially in places like California. Um, so there was a lot of fakes being sold um, out here. So a lot of the older to fill in I come across are fakes. So uh, it's, it's important to know that. Okay, putting on the tefillin. I'm going to talk about putting on the tefillin, then I'm going to talk about its importance. So, so when we put on the tefillin, we put the tefillin, we take the tefillin. Um, Are you going to talk about the thing on top? Later. Afrikaans. Are you going to talk about the different knots? Afrikaans. So, <laughs> so we put, when we put on our tefillin, we start with the arm tefillin. We put the arm tefillin on our biceps right over here. It's put on our left hand when we're right-handed, it's put on our right hand when we're left-handed, our weaker hand, but the idea is that it's supposed to be next to our heart. And the tefillin represents um, connecting our heart and mind to God. So we connect our heart to God, we connect our mind to God, saying that we're gonna use our feelings and our, we're gonna use our feelings and our, and our, and our knowledge, our understanding, all for the sake of God. So we put it on our arms, we wrap, it, uh, we wrap it around our arms seven times, two times over here, seven times over here. We wrap it around our hands. We wrap it around our middle finger. Our custom is to wrap it three times because it says, um, it says in, Micha, the prophet Micha says I, um, that we are married to God. So we wrap it like a ring around. And then we take the head filling out and the head filling is placed not actually between our eyes, but it's placed in the middle of our head, between our eyes. And it, again, represents connecting our mind to God. So we put it between our eyes over here, up on top of our heads. Not, not on our foreheads, but on top of our heads. And we wear it just for morning prayers, and then we take it off. 
The bare minimum one has to wear it for is just to read the Shema. Now, how important is tefillin? Tefillin is extremely important, at least for Jewish men, um, to wear every single day. Um, the Talmud says that um, uh, the Talmud says that every um, calls it a karkafta, the manach tefillin, a Jewish skull that um, is considered a, the skull of a Jewish man is considered um, holy once he's put on tefillin, and um, the Talmud actually says that. Um, the tefillin give us um, blessing in many different things. It speaks about how um, other people respect us for who we are because of the tefillin. The tefillin give us a certain, um, a certain godly appearance, um, all from wearing our tefillin. And so over the years, there were periods when people were not so careful about the wearing of the tefillin. And we, this is already going back hundreds of years, back to the Gaonic period, where there were places where they didn't have a lot of pairs of tefillin. They were hard to get. There was only one pair in the town. So a lot of people didn't bother putting on. And they, the rabbis write how important it is. Um, there was a, um, one of our, uh, one of the uh, rabbi in the Middle Ages, Rabbi Moshe of Kutsi, of Kelsey, which is a town in France apparently, um, traveled around Western Europe um, helping Jews get tefillin and encouraging Jews to regularly put on tefillin. And it's been a thing that Jewish men have always done as their kind of daily connection to God, put on tefillin and pray regularly. Unfortunately, um, when in the late 19th century, many Jews left Eastern Europe and came here to the United States. And part of coming to the United States was often throwing away the Jewish traditions from the old country. And for many Jews, the way they symbolized that was by throwing their tefillin overboard. And there was almost this ritual by people coming from the old country to the new country, here to the United States in the late 19th century, where the men would all go and throw their tefillin overboard um, as a sign that they are parting ways with their traditions and moving on to um, the American melting pot. Um, thankfully, uh, many Jews didn't, and many Jews came here continuing to put on tefillin. But unfortunately for too many of them, um, they stopped, you know, ma many American Jews and Jews from, I mean, really around the world, stopped wearing the tefillin regularly for whatever reason. And so in 1967, exactly 50 years ago, in the lead up to the Six-Day War, and uh, we're going to do a course on the Six-Day War at the end of... Um, uh, uh, in the springtime, we're going to do a course on the Six-Day War. It's going to then, June is going to be 50 years from the Six-Day War. So um, in the lead-up to the Six-Day War, um, there was serious concern. Israel was surrounded by armies much greater than it that were actually threatening that they were going to exterminate all the Jews in Israel. And, um, is, and there was real concern for the safety um, of Israel and the Jews there. And... Um, at the time, the Rebbe then um, the uh, the Rebbe then encouraged that Jews come back to that hadn't been putting on tefillin start putting on tefillin again, and so many of um, the Chabad students would go out to the streets, and you may have seen this before, and they would just stand on the street corners and encourage people to put on tefillin, encourage people to buy tefillin, and since then, um, tefillin usage has dramatically increased around the world, um, and uh, we actively encourage I. But we here actively encourage all Jewish men um, 
two reg put on to fill in every single day. If you don't have a pair, uh, we encourage you to purchase a pair. They're not cheap, but we encourage everyone to purchase a pair. Um, we actually have over here, somebody in the community has um, provided funds for a fill-in fund. Anybody who doesn't have a pair where and um, can't afford or can't for whatever reason doesn't want to purchase one on their own, we have a fill-in fund where we'll purchase fill-in for them so you can put on fill-in daily. And then we also encourage um, uh, people uh, to, when they can, when they're here, to put on the fill-in because of its great importance that all Jewish men put on fill-in regularly. We encourage all our bar mitzvah boys to get a pair of tefillin and um, to at least, even if realistically they're not going to always put on, um, we encourage them to at least learn how to put it on and have a pair so that one day, hopefully, they will regularly put it on. So um, it's a very, very important mitzvah. It's always been our identity and um, kind of central to who we are. It's considered one of the most important mitzvot, at least for Jewish men, and um, very, very central to um, being Jewish. I have to fill in here. If anybody here would like to put them on, I can help you afterwards, right after the class. And um, anybody who would, wants to purchase a pair or wants to take advantage of our funds and get a pair, um, I'd, I'd be glad to help you out and teach you how to do it as well. So um, thank you again for joining us and thank you